my name is Emily Lehman, and this is In Layman's Terms Podcast. All right. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode. Today, I have Luke Colson. He has a podcast with a partner, Kyle, and it's called Well, That Fucked Me Up. Hi, Luke. How are you today? I'm good. I'm really good. Thanks, Emily. Nice to meet you, and thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for being a guest. I would love to just kind of dive right in. Uh, if you would like to give the audience a little background on yourself, introduce yourself to them. and Yeah. Right. Well, so uh, my name's Luke and I'm uh, originally from London, England. In fact, I spent most of my life growing up in London, schooling in London. I'm in my 40s now. I came over to live in L.A. about five or six years ago. Um, and the journey that took me all the way up to moving over to L.A. is a pretty interesting one. It was a very long and windy road. Um, and my uh, the reason why I'm on here, I think, is just to talk a little bit about some kind of traumatic experiences that happened to me when I was little. One very specific traumatic experience, actually, um, and how that shaped my life and, and how long it took me to realize that that trauma had had such a huge effect on all of my probably my teen years, my 20s, my 30s. It took me down a very, very dark path. It took me down some strange sort of just not being me, not really feeling alive, not having any emotion, not having any feeling, not letting anybody in, keeping everybody at arm's length, not being able to successfully navigate relationships and friendships and then inevitably drinking um, became a huge part of my life. And at the first instance, that was great fun. And then it all just it took it, it took it took its toll and it and eventually it, it it totally wiped me out so with that i should probably take a couple of steps back um and say that um in in london on a, on a fine summer's day uh what i was bmxing with a friend of mine 11 years old and we got uh, run out of the park by some some old slightly older kids that wanted to steal our bikes and I was let, left to my own devices by my parents. It was the, it was the 80s and I was a latchkey kid. And and uh, and he, you know, in, in the process, he came off his bike and he hit a car and um, and he died. Oh, my God. Um, and it was it was rough. You know, I, I that day is I, even as I say that I have goosebumps. My whole body just goes into kind of a state of emotion. And that's new because I you know, you can only imagine I. I you know, he, I didn't know what to do. Like I, the, that came back to haunt me, but who would, you know, but he, you know, he had a seizure. It was very gross, the whole thing. And then, you know, he was, he, you know, I, in my mind, maybe, you know, in hindsight, and I beat myself up about it for years was, could I have done something if I'd have known CPR and. That's always the question. Yeah. You know, I'm 11. And so you know, at the end of the day, it's not my fault. None of that was my fault, but, um, you know, it hit me right away and seeing someone die like that in front of me and having to go through, tell the parents what had happened and the police and the ambulance. And then um, beyond that, there was a court case because they were trying to prove that maybe the kids had, had something to do with the death. And so at the age of 11, I'm taking time off school and I'm in a court of law with a, you know, with a, in, the, in the witness box, putting my hand on the Bible and giving an account of the day and the press. And it's like, oh, wow, you know, all that stuff. And I think at the time I just, I just thought I'd take it, maybe just took it for granted. It's like, this is probably just what happens when you're a kid, like some gnarly shit happens. And anyway, just the, the years beyond that, just bit by bit, I could feel everything just 
coming apart at the seams, like just cracking, you know, my, I felt very unsafe. I felt very scared of everything. I was the fragility, the fragility of life just hit me hard. And I don't think when you're a kid, you're really supposed to think about death in that way. I worried that my parents were going to die, that my brother was going to die, that my mum would be back late from a, the post office. And I would be calling the police saying, has yeah, something been happened? Any, yeah, has there been any road traffic accidents or it's sweating, like sweating, panic attacks. And you know, that kind of, kind of, I managed to, I managed to push all that in and squidge it in and save it all in here. And just, I was like, that's it. I'm done with this. I don't want to, that, that can't define my life now. So I, lived my teenage years and things were okay. I think, you know, 17, 18, things were good. 19, 20, went to art school. And then yeah, just started, I just started drinking just to just, that's what you do. Just drink for fun. It's all very um, social, casual. Yeah. But also realizing that I didn't want to feel pain and I didn't want to get hurt. So girlfriends were at arm's length at all times. Um, and then cocaine <laughs> 20s was cocaine and um and recreational drugs and you know it's funny when i look back on it i was a very it was weekends and some weeknights and I, I had a job and a career and that i still have that job and that career somehow somehow i never it never got i mean i had some warnings i wouldn't show up some days you know but it was always a i'd always somehow claw my way back into the to the to the world and then i and then and then in my in my when i was 30 years old i met my now ex-wife but um she she was younger than me she liked drinking there was some drugs and within about six months, she said, I, you have a problem. Like you have a massive cocaine addiction and you're palming it off as a, you know, recreational fun, but you're, you're not because you're taking it on your own. You're taking it after I've gone to bed. Like I know what you're doing. You're the one who's always going later at the parties and you know, there's a problem. There's a problem. So I stopped and I didn't, I didn't seek help. I didn't know any, I was in England, you know, London. It's not so much about the whole, you know, heroin addicts go to, this is going to sound awful by the way, because this is not the truth. This is my awful generalization and thought seven, 16 years ago, heroin addicts go to rehab, but you know, us drinkers and, and cocaine addicts will just stop whenever we want. So I did, I stopped. Uh, and, and I thought that was that. I thought that was the end of my problems. I was like, gosh, that was close. I nearly became one of those ghastly daily cocaine addicts. But of course, in its place, I started drinking more because, well, I couldn't get the buzz from the beers. So I'd have the wine and the wine didn't really work. So I'd have the, the bourbon and, you know, yes, bourbon. Exactly. Your, your dog is feeling that. And then, um, yeah. And then the mornings, the hangovers and then chasing that you know, hair of the dog. And I guess just before I know it, I was drinking every day. It just happened. It just happened very quickly. And that seemed okay too. Drinking after work. I worked in advertising, TV, entertainment. I still do. And in London, everyone's at it. Let's go for a pint at lunch. Oh, I've accidentally had four pints of Stella and it's only two o'clock in the afternoon. And, Oops. you know, but I think I was the person who was always 
find the people who are drinking at lunch. Then I'd find the people that were drinking in the afternoon. Then I'd find the people that were drinking before dinner. Then I'd join the people who were drinking at dinner. But I don't think any of them realized I'd done all four of those things in a row every day, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, then, uh, and then the kids came. So as soon as I, as soon as I had my kids, the, the, the trauma of my childhood just came racing back it was just like as soon as my kids hit an age where I could see them as these fragile kids that I was meant to keep alive the responsibility nearly took me out I was like I don't I don't know how much yeah I don't know how I'm supposed to keep these children alive like I've got too much on my plate as it is so now what I'm going to do is I'm going to start drinking even more because that is going to help me deal with the fear the worry about responsibility. And it's also going to help me deal with the feelings of my own fear that are coming back from when I was a kid. So drink, 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 drink. And eventually when I was eventually five, six years ago, I, um, we came out to LA because I think I was, I was a mess and things were shit, you know, or, um, marriage was falling to pieces. I was, I got a really good job offer and I thought, well, let's try that. Let's give that a go. And um, didn't do anything. Just found new places to drink without being found and new places to buy drink without being found and new places to hide drink without them being found. And, you know, in fact, if anything, it probably got worse. And, and then, um, and then I just, it just all came just four years ago, just all came to a total, like the bottom of all bottoms and drank myself into a, oblivion and got thrown out of the house and lost custody of my children and um and um and so began the journey of kind of second second chance or rebirth or epiphany or enlightenment or I don't know what but I you know I I had no money left I was spent some nights in my car I was maxed out on my credit cards from sleeping in motels and and some friends of mine who were sober came and scraped me off the, literally scraped me off the floor. You know, I was a mess. It was like leaving Las Vegas. And I, I can't account for myself for two weeks of that period. I couldn't, I, I, could, I can't account for myself. That's yeah. I'm a, the rock bottom. It seems. I'm a man, yeah. I'm a man in my forties. And that's like, I would, it's never going to be that person that would be taken out by a third party substance, I guess. But yeah. And so that is my whirlwind up until my point of, um, you know, I was hospitalized with that. Um, you know, I was completely dehydrated and oh, I could, wow. I could, all my belongings were like in plastic bags and bin liners, um, um, at the front of this motel. I don't even know how I got there and ugh, it was rough. So, um, wow. so that's what got me there. That is not that is not my story today. I'm happy mm-hmm. to say. And so, uh, what got you to change well, everything and just yeah get out? Well, firstly, I had to understand that I was sick. You know, I was really sick. Um, and um, my my biggest issue, as I now know it, is that I just didn't really believe that I had a right to be alive after everything that happened to me as a kid. And I faced all of that now and I can speak openly about it, but there's a little part of my brain that was saying, maybe you should have died or why didn't you do something? Or 
your parents got divorced straight after that. That was probably your fault or you didn't really do very well at school. So you're not, you're not, you're not really deserving of any of this. So you might as well just be miserable and don't you dare be happy because you don't deserve it. And don't let anyone in because you don't want to feel anything. Because if you get, if you get any sort of happiness, it's probably going to end in be death or away. despair yeah. or, so this is how I've been living my life. And it's sort of gradually bit by bit. And of course it just took some sobriety, some, some good sort of weeks of sobriety for me to start to just see a little bit more clearly. But of course, with that comes feelings. You know, if you've been self-medicating for 20 years, um, it's a lot. And the first thing you want to do is pour two bottles of white wine down my neck just to stop feeling that feeling. But of course, slowly but surely start to understand that, well, I can't do that. I can't have a drink because then I'll be back where I started because I'll go on a blackout for three weeks again and then I'll never see my kids ever again. And, you know, my, my, my ex had done a kind of a deal with me. It's like, I've, you know, I did some, some testing and you know, put some, put some weeks behind you. I'll give you a day a week. And if you, you know, put two months, you can do, she was very good. She understood. I mean, as much as I, as I put her through, she understood well, help motivating you, giving you that. Yeah, and with everything I've done. Tunnel, like yeah, and by the way, she wasn't. Yeah, exactly. And she wasn't having me back. Like that was that was the end of that. So it's not like there's a redemption story on that side. So I should let your listeners know there's there's no like happy ending, silver lining. She she was absolutely she she had warned me enough times. Yeah, she'd had enough. Um, and that was that. But she saw that I was really sick, and she understood that term, like the disease of my alcoholism and my mental state. I was in a very bad way. I would say I had a full-blown mental breakdown, you know? Yeah, that's really important, though, and, like, that she was able to understand is I mean, thank not goodness. a lot of people can understand that, so that's very lucky. Well, and we can get to this in a minute, but that's kind of why we're shedding light on that with the podcast that I'm doing, and I hate to come on here and plug, but... Um, no, please do. Plug but, away. Now that I can speak about stuff and I can and I and I can admit my vulnerability and I can, uh, as cliche as that sounds, and I can um, tell and I can tell my friends if I'm having a bad day or I can put my hand up and say I'm feeling unwell or I used to just everything was I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine I'm, and I wasn't fine I was suicidal you know, um, so bit by bit I just pieced together some weeks which turned to months which turned to years and you know it's been the i would say four years or so now it's the beginning like the tip of the iceberg of an amazing feeling of self-discovery and like a second like almost like this is the beginning of my understanding my life as it's meant to be as opposed to yeah and that comes with a whole lot of self-doubt as well um, when you've been through that much shit uh, and you put yourself through that much shit as well, it's like, I start to feel happy and I start to feel calm and I start to feel that I don't want to self-destruct and I start to feel like I don't want to sabotage my relationships, my friendships. And I start to feel vulnerable and I start to feel open. And then of course, every now and then, or at the beginning, everyone, my little evil voice in my head saying, go on, Luke, fuck it all up. Go on, fuck it all up, fuck it all up. 
So but where's that? <laughs> I just, yeah, I just, it's the same old story and you hear it the whole time. I took the toxic people out of my life. I took the competitive people out of my life. I took the people that made me feel bad about myself out of my life. And I just made sure I surrounded myself with kind of like-minded people, people that understood, um, people that weren't freaked out by talking about breakdowns and addiction and mental health. And I don't put that on everyone. I'm, you know, I just don't, you know, for the most part, I like to just talk complete nonsense, have a laugh with my friends and my kids. Now, you know, it's kids are back in my life. 50% of my time. I live in a wonderful place. My, I hung on to my job. Um, I'm divorced officially now. Um, Congratulations, I have a, a, maybe. Thank you. I have, yeah, <laughs> no, I have a girlfriend. So I've also, I have a girlfriend with, with feelings and emotion attached to it, which is making progress, which is quite exciting. Um, and I'm, you know, and it, all the things that come with that, which is like, I'm not scared of the bank and I'm not scared of the lawyer. I'm not scared of the phone call from my mom or what I have to, to the thing. And the, I'm not living in meek, terrified childhood trauma loop, but I, only just started the journey to uncover the real trauma that's locked in there. And that's, I, I literally, I started doing some EMDR two weeks ago and I've just started, just started. So my next session's tomorrow and it, it's exciting. And I'm only doing that now because I know that I'm ready for it. And my therapist is like, she was sort of, well, what do you want to talk about? What's wrong? And I said, you know what? Everything's great. And that's why I'm, I'm ready for the next like deep dive into, you know, that I feel like there's a lot, I feel like I have a lot of subconscious sadness and loneliness and fear to get out, just to that's, get out, just to release. Yeah. That's interesting. I feel like I suffer from that too. So I'm, will you tell me a little bit more about whatever this therapy is? Well, EMDR is, um, gosh, I, I all I know is that, um, it's almost like when you're falling asleep or your rapid eye movement, which allows you to dream. The idea behind it is you'll do tapping or you'll do um, like uh, a tap on your leg or a tap on each of your shoulders and you're tapping in rhythm. So what you're doing is you're almost distracting your brain's normal thought pattern. Then in my instance, she, my therapist asked me a question, take me back to a moment where you were scared. So I took her back to a moment when I was a kid and was faced with some, kind of abuse. And, um, she said, and how are you, what are you doing in that moment? And I went to, back to this moment, but the, the way it works is it's, you're using almost like your subconscious thought, or you're using a different part of your brain. And it's where I would normally block that feeling or block that thought because my natural reaction for my brain is feelings, terror, sadness, stop. Suppress. It's, it's sort of, it's sort of somehow it sort of breaks through, it breaks through the, the natural barrier of your thought process. Wow. And I'm like, this is all nonsense. How can like just tapping on your shoulders in rhythm while someone asks you the same questions that they normally do. And people said, you know, that comes with a warning. It's like, you'll, you might well kind of get in there. You might well find this, your brain is, you know, it's, it's all in there. It's all in there. I can't remember anything of my childhood at all. And I don't know whether that's because I blocked out everything before my friend died as like a mechanism. I don't know whether that's because some fucking terrifying shit happened to me before that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she's been very clear to say there might be some memories that you have laid to rest that suddenly, yeah. hello, and I'm going to be like, Wah! and I'm excited for that, even if they're, 
and they might be nice. They might be warm and loving memories. They might be memories that I don't feel like I'm deserving of. And so my brain has decided to not trouble me with those anymore, you know? So it's all very fascinating. And also it's just amazing to feel that there's life beyond being blackout drunk because I don't want to face my fears. Yeah. So with your alcoholism, did you do 12 steps? Was Mm -hmm. that part of your program? Yep. And that's been a part of my program for years, years and years and years. And, um, with, with some great success and I'm a big fan of, um, you know, again, you, if you'd have asked me 10, 10 years ago, why don't you get, get some help? Why don't you go to rehab or why don't you, um, go to, a, you know, join a 12 step program? I'd be like, I don't, that's not for me. Thanks very much. I'm British. <laughs> um, but honestly, the friends I've made and the the communal like shared stories that people have and the immediate um, commonality you have with with perfect strangers is the most wonderful thing. And I have two or three groups that I'm in with and they are my friends. They are my support system, mainly dudes. You know, I'm a big fan of that side of stuff, like bros, like not bros as in like, you know, in that kind of like fraternity type way, but just like, just dudes who are really happy to say, I cried this morning or <laughs> I, uh, I don't want to go in that dark tunnel. It's terrifying. Or, you know, people that yeah, are, someone who can relate. Yeah, people that you don't feel embarrassed to just tell your truth and your honesty. And it's just, it's just, I just, I'm thank, you know, I'm about to say thank God, but there lies another problem. We can get into a whole religious conversation if you like, but I don't have any struggling. I struggle with all sorts of belief systems. So now I just go down the cheesy world of spirituality, but. Right there with you. Yeah. And I haven't figured out what that looks like either, but, um, soon as I can be accepting of the fact that I didn't know anything before I was born and I likely won't know anything after I was born. I had this, I have this, um, to get very honest, I have this extremely unhealthy fear of death, which I have had ever since I was a kid to the point where probably daily, if not hourly, I think about death. Yeah. I can see you fidgeting. Like, yeah, it's like, it's, (laughs) Yeah, and it's uh, and it's something I'm working on, mm-hmm. and it's and it's. I think once I'm free of, and, and I believe I can get free of it, but I feel like once I'm free of that, then I'm going to go onto a whole new kind of plane of just calm. But that's been that's a crazy thing to kind of admit on this on a podcast as well. Of just, it's just I've lived with it forever. Just this panic and deep set fear of death or dying or oblivion or non-existence or very deep, very deep, like meaningful, emotive, like physical feeling of of like death. It's like suffocating you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not normal either. That's just not normal. It's not normal. Like people might start contemplating their death when they're really old and they need a walking stick and, you know, they start to think about like, oh gosh, I wonder what's going on. And I know people, and I've done lots of reading on it and I know people have like, 
you know, there's, there's apparently there's, there's milestones in your life where you feel like you're getting old and you might think about it once or twice, but you know, dear God, like 20, 30 times a day, it's not a, it's like, it's not, it's not sensible. Um, you're obsessing over it. You, yeah. Yeah. And again, it's, it's not, you just can't let it go. It's you're not there yet. Not there yet. We'll also have a, you know, I think that my, I have an overactive mind, like definitely like attention deficit, definitely OCD. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, and um, obsessive thinking, which didn't help me at any point. And I'm feeling it now. I'm looking for maybe a place to buy and, you know, in the desert. And I, and I see my old habits like, oh, this place, this place, I'm going to buy this place, I'm going to buy it. Call the people, find the place, I'm going to put, put, put an offer in. This is the place, this is a great thing. What do you mean it's gone? And then next pay, oh, no, this place, this place is better. And it's like, I'm, I'm acting like a crazy person. There's no rationale here whatsoever. Um, and that's even with me checking myself, like I'm so aware of it. And I now know that that's just the way my brain works and it's whew, a million miles an hour. And, you know, so, yeah. So in terms of the, um, the, the spirituality and the, and the death thing, I, I just need to, uh, you know, there's no hurry by the way, I don't think because I'm only in my forties, but I just need to find some peace. My mom was a, is a born again Christian and a pastor in a church. And that had a long, a long-term effect on my teenage years with her talking about Jesus Christ and, um, you know, giving yourself to the savior that is the Lord Jesus. Otherwise you go to hell. Wasn't helpful. I think that was helpful advice to be honest with you. Probably was a little much. I'm not giving that advice to my own children. I'm not telling them that. I don't blame you. No, um, but I love my mom to pieces and we're very close, but people are allowed to have different beliefs and she gets sad. She gets sad that I don't believe in Jesus because she, she honestly believes in it. Unless I, I think she's come around to the fact that maybe if I don't give myself to Jesus, I still might end up in heaven with her at some stage, but it's, you know, it's been, it's tough. It's like, I don't want to do that because I don't believe in a dude that's coming back to save us from our sins. I just don't, you know, and you do, and that's fine, but I'm not going to have you tell me I'm going to hell. Yeah. Her added pressure is mom. I don't need it. <laughs> I got enough on my plate. Yeah. Shove it. Take it. Save it for later. Yes, exactly. It. Exactly. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I can see that's it's hard because you want to like make her happy, make her proud. You want her to, yeah. Be feeling like assured and you know i'm sure that i have something that bothers her so it's like exactly. to see both sides it's like and it's on. made her a, she's in, she's an inspiration to me so it's i want to be clear just in case she ever hears mm-hmm. but she's wonderful she's my mum, and um there was probably a time where i wish she would stop talking about that and she would laugh about it we talk about it now she just got carried away with it she'd sort of everything was you know I need to pass my driving test. Don't worry about it. I've asked Jesus like, Oh, I got an A in math. That's because I asked Jesus. And it's like, at some point it's like, can I, can I have some credit? Yeah. And I don't think, I, she realized, I don't think she realized that wasn't helping me because for someone who suffers from a massive lack of self-esteem from being, you know, belittled as a child, if I have a win, I need someone to give me some validation and credit for that. I don't want, Jesus, I don't want Jesus taking the credit for that. No, I did it. I need the credit. <laughs> And I still live like that now. I really just feed off somebody saying to me, well done, you did good. You good know? job. Because I never, I never have that. I don't remember having that as a 
as a kid. Yeah. I remember failing a lot, failing a lot and letting people down, you know, that's my perception of my own childhood. Yeah. And that doesn't feel good. It feels rough. It feels rough. And then you get to a point where you're like, well, am I, am I any good actually? Am I worthy? Yeah. And I have this great job and I do really well and I have a great career and, you know, it's all there. We win awards and we get paid. Okay. And live in a nice place. And, but I'm still every day. I'm like, is it, am I, am I, am I a bit shit at everything really? You know, am I a fraud? Imposter syndrome. Yeah. Self-doubt. Yeah. Horrendous. Yeah. Yeah. It's not great. Uh-uh. Well, we all deal with it, I think, but I think every, it comes in waves. I'm sure, you know, Yeah, it does. I'm definitely, um, I'm definitely making progress in all avenues, like right across the board, you know, and it, and when I'm having a bad day, I can, I can, I can see why, like I can soothe myself and I can talk to myself and I can say, you're having a bad day because you're feeling this and you're feeling this because you used to get bullied or you 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 don't have enough you know or you're scared that this is going to happen but none of that's going to happen i remember when i used to go to cognitive behavior therapy and they say you just need to think of something else or you just need to take your bad thoughts and put it in a drawer and i'd be like you people are all a bunch of fucking idiots but somehow now i finally started listening and i and i never thought i'd say it but i feel like i'm on the verge of like completely reprogramming my my brain that's amazing. But it's only your own brain, isn't it? So it's whatever you believe and it's whatever you tell yourself. And doubt is self-doubt. I mean, I haven't figured any of this out, so I don't have like the perfect way to explain what I'm trying to explain, but it's perspective. It's it's perspective. And if, you know, I wake up in the morning as I do and I text all my dude friends, you know, I think we call it a gratitude list. And I've been doing that for four and a half years now, four and a half years, every morning. The sunshine, my children, morning coffee, sports on TV later, my bike ride I had on the weekend, the sea, and my neighbor's dog not barking last night. There we go. Then that's my morning perspective as opposed to, looks like a shit day, it's cloudy, I'm worried about my day at work. The milk's not my favorite type of milk. And I don't know, you know, glass. Well, yeah, it's like you're starting off your morning on like a positive, thankful, grateful note. It's like, I'm grateful for this, this, and this. Instead yeah. of like, oh, I don't know. Fuck, yeah. it's Monday. Like, you know, and having that that yeah. attitude I'm, makes a huge difference. Mondays are hard though, right? Any which way you look at it. <laughs> Mondays are always hard. Honestly, I think Tuesdays are getting worse. <laughs> Tuesdays suck. Tuesdays just lame. Monday, you've still got the weekend in your memory. Tuesday is like the the non-event of the week. It's like it's the shittiest day of the week. Got nothing going for it at all. Yeah. yeah. So you're four years into your recovery mm. journey-ish. Mm. And you're still trucking along. Yeah. Do you think therapy will always be a part of your life and that's something that you'll do forever that's a really good question um for me i would have said no up until i found the therapist that i just found three weeks ago i might need your information well yeah and it i needed someone who was quite rigid in their way in their style 
quite forthright in their questions and answers and instruction or advice and someone that I can, someone that I can, that I respect because I am not to say that I'm full of disrespect to therapists, but I'm one of those dumb people that thinks he knows better than everybody else. But guess what? I don't, because if I did know better than everybody else, I wouldn't have drunk myself into a gutter at the age of 40 years old. So um, I think having an outlet where you can talk. Here's the other thing though, being in um, recovery, and having that outlet on a daily basis, if you want to, to go to a meeting or to dial into a group or call a couple of friends, you you know, that's a lot of therapy in itself. But to take um, a completely neutral sort of objective from someone that you really don't know and that isn't in your circle is bloody great. And I think now that I found this lovely lady there, there could be some longevity in that relationship. But I'll let you know after the EMDR has released all of my pain and suffering from my childhood, and I might resent her and never want to speak to her again. So, <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, I've been in and out of therapy for like eight or nine years, probably. So yeah. I, mean, I feel like at this point, um, I'm, I'm still honestly looking for like that right therapist. I'm not there yeah. yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel it is. It's just so nice having like that third party to like be a sounding board. So, yeah. Totally. Even if like you don't have like super serious problems, you know, like I feel like therapy is still like beneficial. You don't have to like be an alcoholic or a drug addict or yeah. whatever to like go to therapy. 100%. I think um, the biggest thing I think that a lot of people who don't have um, vices or addictions or alcoholism is stress and anxiety and that can that can literally bring you to your knees as well but especially if you don't if you don't know to take drugs or drink heavily which you're not meant to do by the way so that that's correct but that stuff that will take you out that anxiety and that stress i mean that nearly that in in itself nearly took me out you know if you can't stand on that and that's thinking as well that's just your thinking and your perspective and how you choose to let stuff affect you because the same person who's doing the same job, who's got a lid on their feelings and their perspective will be like, I'm stressed out of my brain, but I'm remaining calm and I'm just going to deal with it one step at a time. And I'm going to flag it and ask for help. And then the next person can be in exactly the same situation and be having a total meltdown, a complete panic attack. And at the end of their, rope thinking they want to throw themselves in front of a train and neither of those people is doing it right necessarily i'm not you know pulling out one person against the other but it's it i swear that i you know knowing now that i haven't nothing has changed in my life but my entire life has got infinitely better just from my outward perspective on things yeah no i can relate to that a lot i think once you are able to change the way you perceive things and how you view things in your mindset. It, I mean, it opens up so much. It's like yeah. the negative to the positive is just, it's crazy. It's crazy. How long have you been on your journey as it were? Uh, I've been sober almost five years. I, uh, pain pills, like opiates, heroin, Xanax. 
Amazing. All those fun things. Well, that's so cool. Uh, I know lots of people who went down that. In fact, Kyle could talk to you about some of that. Um, you should have him on. Um, but in, in the UK, we just don't have an opioid epidemic like um, we, yeah. I should say you do out here, but I live here, so I shall take some of the responsibility. But we helped make a, my in my day job, we helped make a documentary all about the opioid crisis on, I think it was Netflix or HBO called The Crime of the Century. I've and watched. Isn't it insane? Yeah. And when you realize that my, even like, so you think it's big pharma, but then you even realize that CVS were like just literally pushing, pushing opioids, pushing heroin onto every single human being they possibly could. Yeah. It's really gross. And, uh, it's uh, sick. It's, and that it's so sad. It's, I bought some, I bought some chicken nuggets the other day from Ralph's and I got home and I realized they were made by Purdue and I just threw them Trash. in. I was like, what the hell? I'm not going near these, those fucking people, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, I'm originally from Ohio. Mm -hmm. So like over like in there, I mean, it's just the opioid epidemic is yeah. it's just oh. wild. That's yeah. That's really hard, isn't it? And did you, yeah. get, did you get hooked on, from from pain, was it, was it pain medication that led to it, or did you kind of know that they would they would give you a feeling and you just started prescribing yourself? It was a little bit of both. Um, I was on like a spring break with a few friends, and there happened to be like some pills like around, so it kind of started off as like a fun dabbling in it. This is fun, mm -hmm. feels good on the weekends. Um, mm -hmm. And then I did go to a doctor and I did get a prescription. And then the boy I was dating and living with at the time, like broke his ankle. So then he got a script There you go. and then it was just off to the fucking races. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, uh, four years later, it's like, Shit. where did like all and the did, time, like, whoa, what happened? Where's my that, life? And did that lead to heroin, heroin? It did. Yeah. Um, no. Wow. I was not unaware. It was not a choice I partook mm. in. Uh, mm. The person I was living with at the time told me he uh, was switching like the drugs or whatever. Holy and that they were like OP80s or something else. But no, it was literally like heroin, like in rock. Oh I found that up via Google. <sighs> um, but yeah, like after the first few times, I'm like, this feels a little different. Oh my <laughs> like something god! Is, something is different here. Um, yeah, it's but get, it's rough to get off that stuff, right? Yeah, withdrawal is brutal, oh. brutal, yeah. brutal. Oh my god! Well, Not congratulations enough. on your five yeah. years. I bet yeah. you feel proud of yourself and happy. Yeah, it's it's really nice to you know like get out of that and be in like a happy good comfortable space um yeah. and when i'm able to talk about it and like if yeah. people they feel like from you know most things and to like bring awareness i guess to other people is i think okay. really important so yeah yeah well on um on our podcast we've had it's funny because we i think we we didn't we didn't set it up to be a recovery based podcast, which is kind of good. I think we just thought no one, no one needs to hear that from Luke and Kyle. Um, he had his story of childhood trauma. I had my story of childhood trauma. So we thought let's start a trauma 
anxiety, depression, mental health podcast. And we'd start with our stories. And then I remember my neighbor, Christopher, had been paralyzed in a surfing accident. I didn't just remember at that stage. I just thought, well, he'd be a good guest mm-hmm. talking about talking about things that were unexpected and you know he's paralyzed from the neck down and has been for three or wow. four years and he was just 50 he was just out surfing one day and he just got dumped on a sandbank and broke his back you know and that's that for the rest of his life oh my god and uh, yeah. so i you know he's around the corner from me and i've you know i see him a lot and help and do what i can when i can mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i was like well he tells a good story and he's sober and he's extremely spiritual and you know he would almost say well this is what meant was meant to happen to me and i feel clearer my eyes are wider open and wow so i was like well that's that's me and that's kyle and that's christopher and then suddenly we realized we had a lot of friends with some amazing stories that weren't all i got sober or i got addicted and then i got clean and and um, so we just started putting it together and the title came easily. We were t- talking about like moments that had really fucked us up. And it's, I love the title. It's, <laughs> I it's love really, it. It's good. It just does everything it's meant to. It's like, well, that fucked me up. And it's like, it's it good. It's perfect. It, it's also retrospective. It's also in the past tense. It's like, well, that fucked me up, but now I'm here to talk about it mm-hmm. and tell you what, what I did about it and therefore tell our listeners what they did about it but we have had a couple of very kind of heavy addiction and recovery based stories in fact last two weeks ago david was a still is he's still alive but he was a high-flying you know film executive and everything going for him like jewish family and he just wrecked it all with heroin you know just wrecked it just like was in a fucking squat he went to jail i think la county and i had to join him alive and it's like wow there's fucking stories you know yeah yeah it's it's been really amazing like meeting other people like via podcasting hearing their stories sharing their stories it's yeah it's so powerful it's you know i didn't I haven't really used like NA or like the 12 step thing. Mm-hmm. I, have, I don't have a drinking problem. So, t- you know, I've yeah. never been like, a part yeah, of my recovery. Um, so speaking with people who like understand it and come from like this community or whatever you want to call it, um, mm-hmm. where you can talk about your traumas or what you've overcome is, yeah. It's been really great. It's also been like very therapeutic. It's been it, really, it's awesome. It's, it's just been great. Yeah. It's like therapy. Like every time you're doing one of these, it must feel a bit yeah, like Yeah, it is. It's fun. It's great. Yes. Well, is there anything else you'd like to leave the audience with today, Luke? I don't think I have any major nuggets of wisdom, only to say that um, I think uh, about five or six years ago, even with two children, I think I probably wanted to kill myself in some way or another, or I didn't really see the point in being on the planet anymore. Not that I had the guts to do it, but I never, ever, ever, ever thought I would feel better. I never thought I would stand a chance of being happy or feeling any emotion whatsoever or living a, I was always worried that I was gonna die having never really grasped the concept of being alive and what that was all about taking me a while but so i guess my message to anyone would be like if you're in it you can get out you just can and that's coming from someone who really was in it like really really was in it and um you know it's just i don't have a magic formula but 
there are people out there to help and friends and family that tell you that you're worth it. They're not just saying that. They're just, they mean it. It's just, it starts with some self-belief, I think. Yeah. I think that's really important. And I think that everyone who's listening, yeah, it's sometimes it's really hard to see that light at the end of the tunnel. So just knowing that it's there and it might feel like it's out of reach, you can get there slowly, but surely there is no, like, you know, it's like everyone I feel like tries to compare and it's like, it doesn't happen like an overnight, like you've been working on this for like four years. Like I'm five years sober. This isn't like snap your fingers and like uh, it's fixed well also here's the the thing once you start to feel a little bit better just sit in that for a while there's no rush there's no rush to feel a hundred percent starting to feel better is the beginning knowing that it's going to continue in that way there's no rush like I was always in such a hurry to get to the next place because I thought the next place might make me feel better. I thought the next destination might be the destination where I stopped worrying or having panic attacks. So I wasn't really paying attention to what was happening now. And actually, I always say this, it's so crap, but like right now and here is like is the destination. And as long as I keep reminding myself that, that's all I've got right now. Just sitting here right now in my kitchen, drinking my coffee, talking to you through my cheap Amazon mic, which I've got over here. And um it's great. It's like, what else do I need? What, why would I be, what, why do I need to be doing anything else? Yeah. I love that. And so for everyone who's listening, um, your socials, like where can everyone find you listen to your show or all yeah. your wisdom and knowledge if they want to find. Well, we have an Instagram, which is simply, well, that fucked me up. You can find us there. And when you get onto that on Insta, you'll see the link in the bio for the website. You can also search for us on pretty much any app, but I will say the U of the word fucked is a little star. So when you're searching for us, make sure you put that in because it literally won't come up if you put a swear word in. I've tried it a million times. And I was thinking maybe we'll just take the star out, but then you have come into all sorts of issues with like advertising and people don't mm-hmm. really swear mm-hmm. the thing. So, so yeah, and um, and I, my um, Instagram is Luke Colson, C-O-L-S-O-N. I kind of have most of my stuff goes through there and then I kind of add it onto our Instagram as well. But yeah, we're on, you know, the usual platforms and we release a new episode every Thursday and uh, every week is different. This week's nine 11. We had a girl who was at high school when the towers collapsed next to her, you know, on the oh. next door and talking I'm about gonna it. Listen, I saw it on Spotify. Yeah. Interview. It's, it's crazy. So yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. And you know, any, any, anyone wants to get in touch or uh, have a listen to the podcast or even just like find us on Instagram and follow us and, and shoot us a message to say, hi, we're here. We're here to, to just, hang out and make friends. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. This was amazing. I mean, it's a pleasure and you're coming on our show next. I'm going to book you. I would love to. Thank you. (laughs) Nice to meet you, Emily. It was so nice to meet you, Luke. Have a great rest of your evening. Thank you for joining us today on this episode. And hopefully we could put this lesson into layman's terms. See you guys next episode.